Hello and welcome to this vidcast, which is devoted to the difficulty of estimating the price at which you are going to list on the stock market, a company whose sales are fast growing, but whose profitability is absolutely not yet demonstrated. I am going to take the example of Snowflake, a company which was founded in 2012 and which was listed in September 2020 after eight years of operations. If you look at the prospectus and you observe the revenues generated by the company over the last four quarters before the IPO, it was about $400 million. But the company was listed in the second half of 2020. An estimated sales figure full year 2020 is about $550 million. The company is generating losses. And if you look at the figures for the last four quarters, when you generate $1 of sales, you generate almost $1 of loss. Of course, year-on-year -year revenue growth is absolutely fantastic, 120%, but there are plenty of losses. The good news about losses is two years before the IPO, they were representing 128% of revenues, and it's down and down and down to 45% of revenues. So you understand that we are still generating losses, but uh, we are progressively moving towards uh, break-even. If you look at the different capital rounds which a company had to do in order to raise funds and finance its growth and its losses, the company is created in 2012, and at the very beginning you have seed funds, seed money, about a million dollars, which is absolutely negligible just to start with. Then there will be VC rounds, series, a, B, C, etc. And the last one is G. The investors are going to be Salesforce Ventures, the venture capital fund of the very well-known CRM company, plus some other investors. The company is going to raise 479 million in February 2020, so a few months before the IPO. And the pre-money valuation, so the value of the company before it takes into account the cash which was raised, is about $12 billion. Keep this figure in mind. The total amount of money raised by the company over these uh, eight years is $1.4 billion. Now, Salesforce Venture is a very well-known VC fund. Uh, they invested in DocuSign, which is absolutely great for electronic signature. Dropbox, we all posted uh, files on Dropbox. HubSpot, interestingly, HubSpot is a very strong and successful competitor of Salesforce in the CRM business. MongoDB, which I mentioned because I produced a vidcast on MongoDB recently. Zoom, because we all use Zoom extensively the last 12 months. Now, Snowflake is explained by Salesforce Venture on its website. And the company is in a cloud business. It is about data and data warehousing as a service. Then follows a few statements explaining that the company is the best on the planet. That's normal. Now to go to the market, Snowflake had to produce prospectuses, the famous S1. Uh, it's about information which is quite general and progressively fine-tuned. You first mentioned a price which might be about $85 per share, September 8th. Then a few days later, 110. Then a few days later, 120. 
which is going to be the final prospectus. Pre-opening transactions, 230, so already $110 more than the last prospectus. Opening, 245, maximum during the day, 319, and closing price, 250, which is exactly three times as much as what was considered as a fair price a few days before. What happened after the listing? Well, there was some volatility, ups and downs, then a big upside in December to the level of 429. This figure was reached during a listing day. Then it went down, and today it's about 235, around $240. If you look at Snowflake volatility and you compare with NASDAQ volatility, you know that NASDAQ is quite volatile and Snowflake even more volatile than NASDAQ. So this is a very risky and unpredictable stock price evolution. Now, how do you price an IPO? This is quite a difficult process. The first thing is that you have to evaluate the kind of fundamental value for the firm. And then there are two main methods. One method puts you in the shoes of the market and you try to find out what is the average opinion of the market on the firm. This method is named comparable. You try to find comparable companies. You try to calculate multiples and you try to identify which multiple looks a little bit more relevant than the others. The second method is about the investor's opinion. When you want to buy a company, you have to try to calculate the fundamental value of this company once it is integrated in your business operations, including uh, synergies, economies of scales, and things like that. Then you discount cash flows at the weighted average cost of capital. These are named DCF methods. Once you have an opinion about the value of the company, you are not going to sell on the stock market the company at its value because then nobody is going to buy a stock whose value is 100 and pay 100. So you have to offer a discount, which is uh, in a very brutal and rude manner named you have to leave meat on the bone to attract investors. Now, if you want to list a company, which method is a little bit more relevant than the other? Probably the comparable method, because what is important is what the market believes about the value of the company, not what an investor believes about the value of the company once it is integrated in its own operations. Then you try to find a comparable and you are going to face a number of challenges and issues. The first one is to find a comparable firm, a truly comparable firm. And you know, if you experience this process, that it's difficult even for industries which are reasonably mature, stabilized, identified. Food, telecommunication equipment, car supplies or whatsoever. That's quite difficult to find a firm which is strictly comparable in terms of sales, revenues, costs, make or buy, manufacturing footprint or whatever. Then you have to identify the relevant multiple. And there are many multiples. It's price to something. Price means that you are going to calculate a ratio in which at the numerator's level, you are going to put value, the enterprise value or the market capitalization. And at the denominator's level, you are going to put an accounting figure, which is about the profit or revenue or whatsoever. Then you can calculate a price to EBIT, a price to EBITDA, a price to earnings, a very famous price earnings. But when the denominator is negative, what do you do? 
You don't buy a company for 50 years of losses. You buy a company for years of profit. Then you have to make a forecast and try to figure out when the company is going to generate profits, at which level, and so on and so forth. That's a bit difficult. There's one ratio which is probably a bit more relevant and certainly easier to calculate. It's price to sales, enterprise value divided by revenues. Of course, if you generate any sales, which is a case of snowflake, by the way. Then you look at characteristics, business characteristics first. We are in a cloud. It's about data. It's about storage of data, data warehouses. Of course, about software, it's about security, it's about anything you like. Then you look at the financial characteristics and you look at the P&L. It's very interesting to observe the P&L of a company before its listing. Then you look at different quarters. You have the last 10 quarters before the listing and you observe that the cost of sales was about 50. It went a little bit over 50. It went down, stabilized at 40. Today it is at 35%, which means that the gross margin rate is about 65%. So the company is profitable, X works, I would say. But then there are some other expenses. Sales and marketing, which was exceeding one year of revenue in quarter three before the listing, and then it went down. It does not mean that the company is investing less, attracting new customers. It simply means that the sales and marketing expenses are growing at a rate which is less than the revenue growth, which is quite good news. It's the same for R&D. When R&D to sales is down from 40% to 20%, it does not mean that you invest less in R&D. It means that revenues, again, are growing at a higher rate. GNA, general and admin, well, you generate some economies of scales on overhead and indirect cost. All in all, it gives you uh, two profiles. A revenue profile, which is skyrocketing, exponential growth for sales and revenues, which is a right-hand axis in orange. And in blue, the left-hand axis, you have the operating loss, which is dramatic, but you are getting closer and closer to break-even, but not that easily at the end of the day. And what is going to be very important is to try to figure out when the company is becoming actually profitable. Once you have characteristics and financials, you can try to compare companies. Then you try to benchmark some financial characteristics of, on the one hand, MongoDB, on the other hand, Snowflake. Sales are quite comparable. Half a billion for one, 550 million full year estimate for the other. Quite the same. Gross margin rates are also quite comparable. 70% for Mongo and 65% for Snowflake. Quite the same order of magnitude. EBIT. They are generating operating losses. Operating losses represent 40% of sales for MongoDB and 50% for Snowflake. So Snowflake looks a, a little bit less profitable than MongoDB. But what is really making the difference is the growth rate in the revenues. About 50% for MongoDB and a tremendous 120% for Snowflake. Then in the process, what do you do? You try to calculate the price to sales and it's 40 for MongoDB. Then you are going to ask yourself the question, which is, which price to sales do I take for Snowflake? Considering that it's about the same level of sales gross margin and operating losses, but what makes a difference, again, is a growth rate. If the price at which you are going to list Snowflake is $120, at the end of the listing, 277.3 million shares multiplied by that, you get $33.3 billion post-money. 
taking into account the cash which was raised. And the cash which was raised about 3.4 billion. So one minus the other gives you an enterprise value, which is around $30 billion for sales estimated at 550 million full year. It's a kind of price to sales, enterprise value to sales, which represents 55 years. And then you compare 55 years for Snowflake and 40 years for MongoDB. And you say it's more or less justified by the fact that Snowflake is growing at a significantly higher rate than MongoDB. But the closing price, first day of listing, is 254, which represents an enterprise value to sales of 120 euros. That's three times as much as MongoDB. Now, of course, you can play with the figures and you dream if revenues keep on growing at not 120, but only 100% during the next five years, then it's an assumption about growing revenues. Of course, you have a few competitors such as AWS, Azure or GCP, which are respectively Amazon, Microsoft and Google. You cannot imagine that you are going to grow at such a high rate without any reaction from your competitors. OK, let's imagine 100%. What about the EBITDA? Or oh, we have to turn positive. Then, for example, we can envisage that because of economies of scale, because improved efficiency, EBITDA now represents 20% to revenues in five years' time. You make your calculations and you get to an enterprise value over EBITDA, which is about 20. Oh, it looks more reasonable. And then you replace the 100% of growth by 120% of growth. And look at that. The enterprise value is only 7. Then it's a bargain. Then it's very cheap. This process, which consists in playing with the figures, I name that when I teach corporate valuation, creating value on Excel. You can put whatever parameter you want. Excel will make the calculation. The one unique thing you have to make sure of is that the parameters are reasonably valid on an economic point of view, which is, in that case, absolutely not guaranteed. Then you can say, OK, Snowflake, it was an accident. But was it really an accident? If you look at all the listings on NASDAQ in 2020 in New York, well, Snowflake, it's an increase in stock price of 112% the day of the IPO. But DoorDash, the same year, 86%. The artificial intelligence software company, C3.ai, plus 119%. Then you are going to say it's not an accident. Yes, but it's Wall Street, it's New York, it's NASDAQ, and so on. Let's have a look at other IPOs on other markets. Kwai Shu on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange a few weeks ago, plus 161%. A few days ago, Asai, Cash and Carry, the stock market of Sao Paulo, plus 386%. So it seems that the mistake is not individual, it's not local, it's global. Then, of course, a number of people give their own theory about explaining the mistake. I don't have any specific theory about that. But what I would like to share with you is what the cost of mispricing an IPO represents. For the remaining shareholders, what does it mean? If you want to raise the same amount of money from the capital market, in that case about $3.4 billion, if the stock price at which you are going to sell these shares is higher, you are going to issue less shares. So you reduce your dilution. If you accept the same level of dilution 
and you issue the same number of shares at a higher price, you're going to raise more funds. In the case of snow, you can reasonably consider that it was not 3.4, but $6 billion, which could have been raised, which is about 10 euros of sales, 10 euros of revenues, which is quite big. And for the shareholders who decided to sell their shares, it's mentioned in the prospectus that Salesforce Ventures and Berkshire Hathaway bought each of them for $250 million of shares at the pre-IPO price which means that they made a plus 100% rate of return in one day, which is quite reasonable. But it is also mentioned that Berkshire Hathaway bought 4 million shares from an investor, very likely a private investor, maybe a founder. The share price, which is mentioned, is about $110. So when you sell 4 million shares at $110, you generate a cash inflow of $440 million, which is an outstanding amount of money. But if you had been patient enough, and if you had waited the first day of listing, and if you had sold your 4 million shares at $250, you would be a billionaire in one day. Of course, $440 million is a huge amount of money, but think about missing the opportunity of becoming billionaire in one day. Thank you very much.